This is the Product Management Leaders Podcast, in which you hear from some of the top PM leaders about their real-world strategies and tactics for building world-class products. It's sponsored by Vox Implant, the leading serverless communications platform and no-code drag-and-drop contact center solution. Vox Implant enables product leaders and developers to integrate communications into their products, such as embedding voice, video, SMS, in-app chat, and natural language processing. Join over 30,000 businesses trusting Vox Implant. Now let's jump into the show. Hey, it's Grant Duncan, your host. Today I'm speaking with Carlos Gonzalez de Villa Umbrosia, founder and CEO of Product School a leader in product management training with a community of over 1 million product professionals. Carlos is also a member of YPO and Leaders in Tech. He has a wealth of experience in entrepreneurship, product management, marketing, and engineering. You'll really like what he has to say today. So let's get started. So for your own company or for the uh, product management leaders you work with, what are some of the most common metrics you track and report on? There are three key metrics that we maintain at a very high level, and they're all around quality. Uh, actually, quality is one of our company values as well. So two of those three are focused on the students, and one is focused on the instructors. For the students, we use the Net Promoter Score, or NPS. That's a way for us to ensure that they are having a good experience when they are going through our training. The second quality metric that we use for students is outcomes. We want to really understand where students are before they take our training and where they are, not just right after the training, but six months from now and then also future years. And the third metric that we use, and this one is for instructors, is what is the recurring rate for them to teach again? As I mentioned, all of the instructors, they keep their full-time jobs. So they do this on the side on weeknights or weekends, and we want to create a good experience for them so they can also teach again. And those have really good benefits for the students and for the company because the time that we spend onboarding an instructor is very valuable. So if they are in the system already and we know they've been successful, it's pretty more likely they're going to be successful again. So that's also a guarantee for the students. Mm, very cool. What's one of the hardest product decisions you've had to make? Huge decision we had to make was when we decided to move from offline to online. And by the way, mm. this happened before the pandemic. At some point, ProSchool started as an offline education company. And at some point, we had 16 physical campuses across the US and also in London and Toronto. So it's a pretty big log- logistical operation. Yeah, we decided wow. to open our online campus, campus number 17, and that was online. And we treated it pretty much as another campus. We decided to keep the same price for tuition. We decided to provide exact same resources to students to maintain the same quality of instructors and everything in between. And what we saw is that online kept growing and growing and growing. And one of the insights that we got from data was that around 30% of the online students were physically located in places where we had a campus. So those students chose to to learn online over offline, even though they could technically learn offline. And that was very, that was a breakthrough for us. Uh, at that time, we started kind of switching the model. And today, Product School is 100% online. All of our courses are delivered live online. And the additional benefit to that is that there are a lot of people that don't have access to those product leaders. Like most of our instructors, while training still online, they're physically based in Silicon Valley or New York. 
And we have a pretty diverse student base, not only in the US, but from many other parts of the world. So they, everyone has access to the same quality instructors, regardless of where they are based. Yeah. Yeah. That's so awesome. Um, so it sounds like part of that decision was looking at the analytics there. How do you think about product analytics? Well, I can't imagine a business that is being run just based out of uh, gut feelings. I understand <laughs> as a founder. Unfortunately, you there's still a lot of them. <laughs> I know. And we're trying to change that. And I think that uh, part of uh, product management and product analytics is, is really showing the value of data. Because I understand, especially at the very beginning, it's important to have a strong vision and conviction around a certain idea. But it's equally important to keep an open mind and maintain flexibility. We always say in product management that we have to fall in love with the problem and not with the solution. The problem we are trying to solve is to help people build better products. The solution is going to iterate. I just gave you an example of how we move from offline to online. There are many other uh, iterations that we are making just to increase the, the high level metrics around quality. Right. And it's impossible to know this today. Like the world is changing and, and it would be just uh, absurd to try to maintain certain mental models and say, no, this is how the world should learn. Um, product analytics or in general analytics is helping us make those decisions. We've seen um, a huge macro trend in, in product management, which is no code and how these tools are becoming much more visual. So people who don't come from a technical background, who don't know CQL or databases, they can still access the power of analytics. They can still know what's going on in simple terms and use that to make their own decisions. So if there's anybody, anybody out there who is not using data to make decisions, it's their own fault. <laughs> and it's time to change. <laughs> so for you as the CEO of Product School, what does the pie chart of your time on a normal day or week look like? I'm obsessed with this and I use uh, different color codes for my own calendar. I try to audit my calendar every once in a while to make sure that, that we're keeping a healthy ratio of certain themes. So first of all, one thing that helps me is to use a calendar for both work and personal stuff. Because for me, what's not on the calendar doesn't exist. So <laughs> I need to create blogs for my own lunch, dinner, uh, family time. Uh, yes, yes, it's important for me to, to prioritize that correctly and not leave the personal stuff for the end, only if there's nothing else to do. Then within work, I spend a lot of time on talent acquisition and culture, which means we're constantly hiring and we are trying to, and, I, and it's something I care about. I want to make sure that everyone who joins the organization understands our culture and that can be a, a culture builder. It's not just they have the right skills to do their job, they can also have the right attitude to contribute as a team. And I also don't want to forget about the people who are in the team already. It's not just about, oh, you join the team and then we forget about you. <laughs> so I spend uh, at least one third of my time between talent acquisition and uh, culture. Mm. The other third is used on product. I'm a product person and I cannot help that. And I love it. So I actually spend a decent amount of time with my product and marketing teams, reviewing roadmaps, aligning on the, on the vision, uh, making sure that, uh, you know, we have a plan and that we are making adjustments on that plan. Part of that third is also user research. So I, I personally like to invest time talking with customers, 
both prospective and existing customers because they also inform the product decisions that we make. And the other third is a combination of meetings and day-to-day maintenance, but there's also buffer for me to think, for me to be um, reactive. Because if you pack your calendar according to your own priorities, that might look perfect, <laughs> but things will change, right? And maybe there's something that you didn't expect from a meeting or from a user interview or from a candidate, whatever that might be. So I like to keep a wiggle room and then revisit those calendars every week. Yeah, so, you know, we can, we can uh, plan accordingly. Yeah, that's an awesome structure you have. You mentioned uh, user research being important for you. And for those who don't know, you're very active on social media as well, engaging with people. How do you use social as a method of user feedback and research? Yeah, I love social. I think it's a fantastic way to not only create your own brand, but really have direct access to your users. You don't even have to schedule an interview with someone because you can go and listen to whatever they're saying about your brand. So I use it in multiple ways. I, I, block, I actually block time every day to create content, mm. but I also use part of that time to listen, to monitor our brand. And sometimes that means engaging in certain discussions that are happening that I didn't, I didn't create, For example, there's a lot of discussion forums out there where there are people talking about product management, not just product school. And I think that's an important distinction because one thing is brand monitoring, which is important, but the other thing is actually keeping a finger on the pulse and know what people are are doing, what people are saying, even if you are not being mentioned in that conversation. So forums like Reddit, Quora, a lot of the webinars and interviews that I do on my podcast are very helpful for me to know what's actually happening outside our own bubble. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So how do you determine quarterly goals? This is something that we've been iterating on a lot because when I started the company, uh, we were such a small team that it was much easier to, to get alignment. Now we are north of 100 people. And that means that we need to create more structure and we onboarded, we have a new investor, which means that we also need to um, keep them in the loop and make sure that there is a shareholder communication. So we do this on a quarterly basis. We create um, strategy sessions. We actually bring in a moderator to help us with planning because I think it's important to have someone to to maintain a healthy discussion, to not let the CEO or another executive to just run a meeting. And those meetings usually happen at the executive level. So we involve our chief product officer, chief marketing officer, sales executives and operations, myself. And then together we co-create what we think is the, 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 what are the goals for the quarter. We also have a three-year plan. So before we start with the quarterly planning, we like to take a look at the three-year plan to make sure that you know, it's in line. But then when we start looking deeper into the quarter, we usually do two or three sessions with a moderator just to identify the the KPIs. And once we are confirmed, then we like to involve the rest of the team because it's also important to get their input. So we leave that room for them to provide feedback. Once we have that final list of goals, then it's time for each team lead to take that to their teams and break it down even further to create function-specific KPIs. So we like to follow the OKR 
model. Mm-hmm. But um, we also recognize that OKR can be very intensive. It's a lot of work if you want to do it right. So w- what we decided to do was to maintain as a decent structure at the highest level for the OKRs and then keep a little more flexibility for the function-specific key results. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting blend there. How do you advise people on making prioritization and trade-off decisions? I mean, I think that's what I do every day for <laughs> breakfast, right? So um, this we mentioned before how data is important to make decisions, but at the same time, too much data can can slow you down. So as a CEO, or I think in general as a, as a leader or a product leader, you have to make this trade-off between when is enough data for you to move on, make a decision, knowing that you can revisit that decision. It's not like it's set in stone forever. And I think that mindset is really important because, of course, especially for a team, they want to know, they want to have clarity. They want to know what's going to happen. And as a leader, it's important to clarify that vision constantly. But that doesn't mean that you cannot evolve not only the vision, but the actual strategy or even the tactics. So just to keep it simple, there are, I would consider some high-level strategic decisions. I would differentiate that from day-to-day decisions. I try to focus more on, on, on the first. However, it's true that Sometimes there are fires and you have to put them out and you have to be involved. <laughs> but for the most part, and I think it's important to create that distance to let leaders lead, to empower them to make decisions, involve them, of course, in the strategy decisions. But I like to really focus on those strategy sessions, quarterly planning, monthly planning, and uh, more than what's going to happen tomorrow or next week with our product sprint. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. How, how do you suggest people product management leaders work effectively with engineering teams? That's a million dollar question. <laughs> and, and I think it depends a lot on, the, um, on the, the team, the product team in this case, and also depends on the specific product manager. We've seen how a lot of product managers come from an engineering background, myself included. Uh, the good thing in, in, the, in the product management world is that that is not the only option. I've seen a lot of incredible product leaders coming from business backgrounds, operations backgrounds, customer support, and even outside of tech. So I think bringing this type of diversity is helpful for the team. It's a, it's a good way to represent your user, your user base, but that also influences how you want to have a relationship with your engineer. Because if we're talking about a very technical product manager, you probably have more empathy for your engineers because you come from that world. It's maybe those engineers respect you more by default because you're one of them. Uh, that doesn't mean it's going to get any easier as you grow, but <laughs> there is a there's a head start. While if you come, let's say, from design or, or business, the, the leadership style uh, or your communication style with your engineers must be different, right? It's more about really approaching this with curiosity and not trying to step on, on their toes. I think the relationship between engineering and product is absolutely critical. The same way I would, I would elevate the, the collaboration between product and design and product and marketing. I see this as a triangle. And in general, best product managers are humble people. They are people who are constantly questioning their hypothesis. Yes, it's true that they're very smart and that's why they're there. But at some point, you can't be telling the engineering leader what they have to do or especially how they have to do it. You can't mm-hmm. be telling a designer or a marketer how they have to design or market their product. You probably know enough to be dangerous, 
but the role of the product manager is more as a coach. You, you go there to ask questions, to try to help, to see what you can do for them rather than the other way around. Yeah, yeah, great points. You also mentioned design and marketing as being key to that triangle. Anything you'd want to mention for collaborating with design or with marketing? So each team will require their own style. And I wish I could say, well, there is this magic template that you can follow <laughs> and every single team will love you. <laughs> but uh, it's a little bit of a science and there's also a little bit of an art. So depending on your own personal experience, depending on the experience of the team, depending on the, entire, the, the situation in general, you probably have to adjust. And I would even go further. I've seen product leaders who use different styles, even within the same company. They might have different engineering teams and, and they have to you know, make different um uh, compromises just to make sure that things seem to float. And, and I think it's, it's good to put it on the product manager. It is easier for the company if the product manager has to adjust to how different teams need to go versus imposing the teams what you really want to see. I think it takes a lot of empathy. It takes a lot of humility. But at the end of the day, we are there to support them. We cannot do absolutely anything without them. In product, Technically, you don't code, you don't design, you don't market, you don't sell. <laughs> so you need the team to be aligned in order to accomplish a common goal. Yeah, agreed. And I think for B2B companies, maybe um, to add a fourth leg to the triangle, sales is probably also a key person to collaborate with as they are hearing more of that direct customer feedback as well. Totally. And uh, we, we've seen a, a trend in product, um, some people call it product-led, which means really empowering your product to allow users to get value directly, even without interacting with the sales teams. And that doesn't mean that a company doesn't need a sales team. So maintaining that relationship with the sales team to really create a healthy relationship so they know that product is here to help. Product is here to add value, to qualify users to, and then of course, introduce sales at the point where the user needs it. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that product-led growth, although it's growing in popularity, not a completely new concept, I think it can help so many other parts of the business as well. Um, like, you know, you think about marketing or sales now knowing who's actually using the product or who's now quadrupled their, their usage of the product. Well, maybe it's worth a conversation now, or maybe you speak to them differently. It's such a key, key concept these days. Yeah, I find, obviously we are both biased, but uh, I find product management fascinating because it is a generalist role. First of all, you're wearing multiple hats. It is hectic because one day you're talking marketing, maybe you're then talking sales, then engineering, then design, then go back. Maybe you even have to interact with finance and legal because there's something on the terms of service that needs to be updated. So it's not for everybody, clearly, but it's fascinating for people who want to wear those multiple hats. They want to learn enough. They want to move fast and they also like coordinating efforts. So uh, it doesn't come with challenge, without challenges. That's why we are seeing in the market that, uh, first of all, there are a lot of companies hiring product managers, which is really valid reassuring for, for us. We train product managers, so we <laughs> want to make sure that there are enough companies out there hiring them. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean that it's easy. Um, being a product manager is, uh, comes with a lot, a lot of responsibilities. And ultimately, a lot of CEOs 
come from a product background. They call themselves product people, which means that product is at the table, product is here to stay, and it's a key function for any company, regardless of their industry. This is not just for high-tech companies, and this is not just for Silicon Valley. Yeah. How do you think about uh, creating that kind of customer engagement within your products? It's kind of closely related to the PLG idea. Yeah. So here's a misconception that I've, that I've seen way too often when we talk about growth. We tend to think of growth as top of funnel, meaning number of people who sign up for your product, number of emails that you have on your database, number of followers that you have on your social media. But that is just a vanity metric. The, the new growth is retention because without retention, without making sure that your users actually come back and get value, you won't have a sustainable business. So I like to look at growth in terms of the entire funnel. Yes, I want to know how many new users we are acquiring, but I don't want to stop there. I really want to know what's happening with them. And ultimately, how many of them are becoming paid customers, recurring customers, and so on. So there's so many different channels, tactics we can talk about in terms of you know, how to create a healthy um, retention for the users, but it starts with a healthy onboarding. Because when a user signs up for something, that's one, one step, that's good. But how do you make sure that they actually get what they were promised? How do you make sure that they are set up for success so they can come back in the future without you pushing them too hard? That's usually called user onboarding. And I see more and more companies, especially product-led companies that are investing time and resources just to ensure and to measure what's really happening after signing up and before paying. How, how do you suggest PMs deal with failure? Wow, that's such a rich question, right? Um, <laughs> I can tell you how I try to deal with failure and hopefully that can be valuable for other people out there. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure you've heard this from a lot of people saying, oh, failure is great and you have to fail fast. And (laughs) the reality is nobody really wants to fail. It's just part of the process. But nobody wakes up in the morning saying, today I'm going to fail fast, right? Like (laughs) you want to win. Uh, So I like to rephrase that and think more about learning fast. You can learn from winning. That's failure is not the only way you can learn. But obviously, yeah. you can, there are certain lessons you can only learn from failure. So for me, failing is not okay or just failing. For me, it's about failing and learning something from that failure. So as long mm. as we can create that loop and create, us, uh, create high, enough, high enough frequency, I think that's when we can create more value, when we can stand up and we can, we can win also faster. Yeah, yeah, great point. So of that reframing of failure to focusing on learning. So you're obviously very connected into helping PMs grow and learn. What would be some of the top communities or books or resources that you would suggest people plug into or read to continue learning? Well, I have to um, talk about our community and not just because it's ours, um, but it's because this is the main reason why I started this company. Product School It's a community first and foremost. And over 90% of our resources are absolutely free and available to anyone right away. If you go to our website, you can join the community. You can start accessing job opportunities, discussion forum, books. We produce a thousand events per year. We do conferences, career first, and the list goes on and on. 
All of yeah, that is available because I believe in access to education. I unfortunately didn't have this type of access when I was getting started in my career. Mm. And, and I, I think it's good to start with something and then take it from there. Because if I give you a list of seven other communities and books, and that can be too much information. I think when the way I approach learning, when I, when I try to master something new is I try to identify who are the best in terms of people or what are the best communities. And I go and I take some time just to see what feels right to me, right? Like what are actually the people that resonate the most with what I try to learn? What are the resources that work best for me? Not everyone learns the same way. And then once I know a little bit more, then I can decide what my next step should be. So I would encourage everyone to check out our website and decide for themselves. So if specifically speaking, we have a book called the product book, how to become a great product manager that I think is a really insightful guide for people who are curious about this world. Maybe they never had the chance to, to apply product management, but there are many others that you can check out. And then if nothing works for you and you still have that question and I can be helpful, feel free to ping me on social media. I'm very active as Grant mentioned, especially on, on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. You guys have a ton of resources. That's great. So if I give you a magic wand and you had one wish to solve any product management problem, what would that be? Well, I'm very focused on, I'm uh, very passionate about education. I think that is the, the real equalizer. And that's what I've been trying to do my entire life. I've been a student. I'm still a student. I'm a lifelong learner, as I like to say. Yeah. And in this particular case, connecting education with employment in product management is absolutely necessary. We see we're talking about the future of work and how all companies are software companies and how everyone is working remotely and more and more companies are offering their products and services online. Well, who is actually building those products? Who is actually creating this type of internal collaboration? Who is leading this type of digital transformation? Well, today that's called product management. And a funny thing is that there's not, there's not a school, there's in traditional education, it's not optimized for helping people get a job in product. So that is the, the problem that I've been uh, committed to solve and I'll continue doing so. Yeah, I love that. Any uh, last parting advice you'd want to share with listeners? No, I just want to thank you again for your time and open my DMs for anyone in case uh, I can be helpful. I actually committed to keep my inbox to zero on, on LinkedIn. So you should, nice. if you message me, I think uh, you should hear back from me within, within a week. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing my job. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Carlos. Really appreciate your insights today. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. And thanks to our sponsor, Vox Implant, as well. If you're looking into how to improve your communication and customer engagement, check them out. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and tell your friends so that others can find it more easily. Have a great day and feel free to reach out to me, Grant Duncan, if you have any questions you want asked in our next episode.